Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, I'm Stuart Brennan. Welcome to this week's Talking City. I'm here with Ian Cheeseman, long-time City fan, vlogger and excess Manchester show person um, and with Chris Slater who's our sports news correspondent here at the Manchester Evening News and a season ticket holder at City as well. Um, plenty to talk about this week chaps and we'll kick it off. An argument we've been having in on our sports desk this week is was it a record the other night? Of course City went into the game against Wolves having won 11 games on the bounce. The idea was if they beat Wolves, it would be 12 wins consecutively in all competitions and that would be a new club record. Now, of course, it, after 120 minutes, it was still nil-nil. Goes to a penalty shootout. City go through, but does it go down as a win? I mean, the, the research I've done on this would indicate that it goes on the record as a draw and then City go through, which would mean that City have not broken the record. They, they've been trumpeting it on their website that we've set a new record of 12 consecutive wins. Um, so what do you reckon, I mean? What well, there's a few different questions there. First of all, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced, as a blue, as a person who's worked in the media for a long time, that the club trumpeting it on their own website is such a good idea because it, it doesn't half lead to a potential fall. And we're going to come on to Ballgate in a little while as well. And I'm not sure that the way that that has been handled has really been been that great. Uh, I saw Gary James, who we all respect as the esteemed voice of records and everything, who didn't really, in the, certainly in the tweet I saw, give a definitive answer to this. But what he did do is he used an example of Arsenal uh, in a similar situation on a sequence of, of wins, and they counted a draw against West Bromwich Albion in the League Cup, which they won on penalties, as a victory. I don't think that necessarily means that's a defining answer, um, I mean, from a personal point of view, City didn't win. City didn't score and didn't win. And obviously the Sergio Aguero record wasn't broken, even though Sergio Aguero scored in the penalty shootout. So therefore, since nobody scored in the game and those records don't apply, how can it possibly be a win? So in my mind, it was a draw and the run ended. And in a way... Because the pressure is building on this this unbroken sequence of results, maybe it's a good thing that they didn't win the game, and maybe we should stop talking about this now. Um, uh, how many wins it is, and just get on again. Because on Sergio Aguero, he looked like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders in that game against Wolves, and that 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 this wanting to score that goal was weighing heavily on him. So. Keep talking. I mean, it, nobody's going to stop us talking about it or fans talking about it, but the club itself talking about all these records all the time. I think it's a bit counterproductive. Yeah. Do, do you care at all, Chris? Um, well, I tweeted the other day. I don't know how they can claim that as a win and then got loads of stick from City fans, probably not knowing my allegiances or no, not caring and just wanted to lay into me anyway. I did see that Gary James tweet this morning as well, yeah. He basically said, I think Arsenal went on a similar run and they, that included a League Cup win, like Ian says. 
they included it. But if if they'd have lost the shootout, would they be classing it as a defeat? I doubt it. You know, they'd want to be claiming to be unbeaten, so I don't think you can have it both ways. Well, they'd um, be unbeaten at nil nil, wouldn't they? Exactly, yeah. But I'm saying we're classing the penalty shootout win as a win. But then if we'd have lost the shootout, would they be saying we'd lost the match? We, mm. it's a weird one, but. Um, like Ian, um, Ian and Gary said on the tweet, it's a club record, so it's sort of it's kind of up to them what they class it as, you know. No one else is really fussed how many games he's won on the trot other than City and City fans are, so it's up to them really. But um, I, yeah, a, a bit of the feel-good factor when I suppose, didn't it? But winning that shit out at the end is a, a nice boost over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is, at the end of the day, people look back on City won the game, because they did, they went through. You, you, to, to go through, you've got to win. And the, the fact that they won it on a penalty shootout is a little bit irrelevant. So to me, a win, a win is a win, no matter how you how you win it. You know, uh, if 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 they'd have got a scrappy goal that had ballooned in off somebody's backside from fifty yards out in the in the last second of the game, it's still a. I know I, I know that that's part of the game, but a penalty shootout is part of the game as well. And the fact that they've won it'll go down in the record books as, as a win. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in the next round. You don't go to the next round with a draw, do you? So anyway, that's. I'm going, to, I'm going to look into this further. I've been in touch with the FA and I've been in touch with uh, the football statisticians and uh, we're going to get a serious definitive answer on that one after after all our ramblings. If they give you an answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, at the end of that game, it, it was a it was a difficult night for City. You know, there was all kinds of... Wolves were brilliant, I thought. I thought they, they came and set up and, and made things difficult and presented a threat, which is more than a lot of Premier League teams do at City. You don't see them actually creating chances the way Wolves were doing and defending as well as they did. And of course at the end Pep Guardiola, as you referred to it as Ballgate I think before in Pep Guardiola um, threw this idea in that it was all about the ball, that some of the players had complained that the ball was like. Now Yaya Torre uh, spoke to some of the journalists afterwards as well and he said exactly the same thing, he said the ball was too light. Now whether that was Yaya uh, excusing his free kick, which went about thirty yards over the bar, I don't know. But that it wasn't like yeah, yeah. You know, you normally normally when he takes free kicks, they either go in the net or they're within a yard or two of the goal. You know, he doesn't normally miss by that much. So, is there anything in it? Do you think the ball was a could be a, a feasible excuse, or is it just a distraction technique from from Pep? Um, there's obviously something in it. Like you said, otherwise I, d- I doubt Pep would have come out and said this and. The players have backed him up as well, and then seemingly independently of him as well. It's not as if he's given him a briefing to go out and trash this ball. Um, I don't know. It's, it just seemed a bit of an odd thing to be talking about after after the game, from my point of view. I thought it was, you know, I, I know he's got a lot of criticism on there. I think from Jackie Holt from the BBC and from the people for not giving Wolves enough credit and going on about this, but he was obviously concerned enough about it to, you know, to raise it. Maybe it was something he could have, you know sort of briefed and leaked to the press rather than come out and talk explicitly about it, I don't know. But um I mean both sides played with it, didn't they? I suppose that's that's the ultimate that's 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 the end of, the only thing you can say in the end. But somebody mentioned to me that Bravo was 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 talking to the referee about it during the shootout as well. He does seem to be in discussion with the referee. I don't know if that was to do with him not being on his line or kicking the post for too long or because he was doing a lot of that and wobbling the crossbar and that sort of stuff. But yeah. Well it's interesting because I, I I spoke to Bravo after the game and he, I asked him about his, his technique in a penalty shootout because he's got a great record and the, and he came out with like a three point answer of, of what he does during penalty shootouts and the third one was he tries to put off the opponent as much as possible 
Now, if you've got an opponent coming up to take a penalty and you're in the referee's ear loudly saying the ball's too light, it's all over the place, you know, you, well, whatever, is that just planting a seed in the opponent's mind? You know, I'm sure he thinks that, but you know, the fact that he perhaps he was using that as a as a bit of a mind game with with a, an opponent who's coming up to take a penalty, just just throw that one in there. Can we just clarify something here? There is a standard weight and size of a football, isn't there? Yes. So the fact that this was a football league ball presumably means that it was still the same weight and still the same dimensions. Now, it might have had slightly different aerodynamic uh, characteristics, shall we say, but fundamentally the ball was the same. Now, I find it, I didn't, I was in that press conference, I didn't see it live, but I've seen the video. And Pep was very, very animated and, and, and really let it get to him. And I find it uh, very odd that, that he would do that. Now, obviously, you know, people are suggesting it might have been a sort of Jose Mourinho diversionary tactic. Um, I, I don't think Pep, Pep does that sort of thing personally, personally. Now, you may disagree, but um, I, I do wonder why he's made such a big deal of it. Because what this does now is whoever City get in the next round of this competition... The manager of, of that team is going to be saying they don't like this ball, they don't like this ball, make sure you kick your pie in the air and everything. And it becomes a motivation and it becomes something that you can uh, beat, beat him over, you know, the club over a stick with. Obviously, the media have gone to town on it. And if you're a supporter of another club, I mean, obviously, I'm a blue, so I want to be sympathetic to Pep Guardiola, I want to be sympathetic to City. But just try and think for a second if this was Jose Mourinho after United had, had struggled to beat some opposition, saying it was all about the ball, they would City fans would be ridiculing that. So you can't have it both ways. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's, there's, OK, I don't play football, I don't kick that ball, I'm not a professional, so I bow to the fact that it may fly slightly differently. But come on, that did not ruin the game. It did not mean that was nil-nil-nil. Nil-nil, uh, that's not why... Yeah, yeah, put the free kick over the bar or Aguero didn't convert his chances. You could look at it the other way and say, well, if it had been the proper ball, perhaps Bravo wouldn't have made those three saves. And it would have gone it and those shots would have gone in if it had flown like a normal Premier League. Trying to about Bravo, you? I'm not saying anything. I'm saying this this stuff about the ball just seems totally ridiculous to me. Well, this idea that it's a diversionary tactic, if anything, he's made a story out of nothing, hasn't he? I mean, yeah. if he'd have just said credit to Wolves, I'm pleased we got the job done, that would have been, well, obviously not for us, but in terms of the national press, you know, um, a few paragraphs and that's that. But, you know, it, suddenly now you've got, you know, the, the the football league's hit back and, you know, now you've turned it into a two or three day story, which but could prove a distraction before he, Saturday, maybe. He's done yeah. this before, though. He has done this before, this kind of thing. Uh, I think back to Claudio Bravo's no, it sounds like I'm going to go Bravo now, but Claudio Bravo's debut in the derby at Old Trafford uh, where he had a bit of a nightmare you know he dropped the ball for Ibrahimovic to, to get United back in the game uh, he could have been sent off for his challenge on Rooney it wasn't great and what did what did Pep say after the game he said it was the, the one of the greatest performances he'd ever seen which was a quite ludicrous thing to say even Claudio Bravo's mum wouldn't think it was a, the greatest one of the greatest Performances you'd ever see. Can you say about Kolarov after he played centre back? Yes, one of well. the best centre backs in Europe. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if that, that that might be just building the player up. Um, maybe it was with Bravo, but I just got the impression that if you say something as ludicrous as that, people seize on it, and straight away the, the attention is distracted away from Bravo, and it becomes 
well, well Pep Guardiola's lost his marbles. How, how can he possibly think this? And on, on this, City didn't play well on the night. They've been playing this fantastic football. And if if he hadn't have done this with the ball, all the attention would have been on, oh, is, you know, as is, is the magic dust worn off our, our City, you know, on, on the downward slope this season, like they did last season, you know. But all of a sudden, it's it's all the all the attention is is on on what Guardiola said rather than the way his team played. I, I don't understand, he, he understand that argument if this was a league game, but because it was a league cup tie where there've been so many changes, surely even City not playing as fluently as they have done to win the game wouldn't have mattered as much anyway. So why would he have gone into that that thought process? Yeah, I mean he's. Um, I just, I just think that he, he's, he's doing it on purpose. I don't, I, I think he does believe what he said about the ball. I think, I think he's not, he's not making that up. He's not just thought, I know, I'll have a go at the ball. I think players have been saying to him after the game, the ball was rubbish, blah blah blah, and he's gone straight from that into the press conference. Uh, and rather than having to try and explain the fact that, you know, Bernardo Silva and Ilkay Gundogan and one or two other players who came in didn't perform to the same level, which is what he's hoping they would do. You know that they've just been this continuity. No matter which player you play, they're just going to keep this this juggernaut rolling. So having to rather than having to try and explain that, he comes out with a ball. Everybody goes away happy with some quotes and the fact that they can you know they can take the mick out of Pep Guardiola a little bit. He's happy with that because he's a big man. He's got a broad pair of shoulders and he will take that all day long. If it's taking the taking any criticism and any pressure off his team. You know, Fergie used to do it, and you, talk, you, know, you mentioned Jose Mourinho does it as well. I, th- I think it's a, it is a good management technique mm. that you de- deflect all the attention away from your team and onto your shoulders. I know what you're saying; it was hardly the end of the world. You know, the fans weren't exactly desperate and thinking, "Oh, this has all gone wrong." You know, it was just one of those games where Wolves did extremely well. Uh, City made enough changes that it mattered. You know, they didn't they didn't keep performing at the same level, but I think it's still provided a talking point that was away from the other talking point which might have been you know our City got a deep enough squad are they struggling Mangala wasn't great you know what happens if a centre back gets injured but you know which would would, would have perhaps been the, the central talking point apart from the fact that he came up with this what I can say is that I went obviously I do vlogs as you mentioned at the beginning and, and I went and interviewed fans at the end of the game and despite the fact that it wasn't a great game it had been 120 minutes it was a late night it was pouring down by rain by the end of the, the game all the fans were just you know wow what a, people were actually saying great game great win because the drama and the excitement of the penalty shootout seemed to be like a coverall. Main thing is we're through to the next round. So I don't think City fans would have, well, certainly City fans anyway, would have been critical at all. Just getting through was enough. If they'd lost on that penalty shootout, then that might have been a different different case. But after the game, they were all elated. So maybe Pep didn't need to do that deflection unless he expected an avalanche of criticism from from the, the national media. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's only a theory of mine. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm perhaps gonna write something about this. But I also remember last season at Leicester when when they lost. Yeah, that was different. That was a league. That See, was. That, you did need to deflect from that because that was bad. It, it was. It was absolutely <laughs> shocking. And he came out with a sentence in that afterwards. I, I still think did he did he come out with that on purpose? But he came out with a sentence afterwards that I don't. Somebody somebody mentioned about the fact that they kept losing tackles during the game. And he said, "Well, I don't coach tackling," and next thing you know, everybody's gone wild with it. I did. I ignored that as a quote because for me, he's absolutely right. Who coaches tackling in the Premier League? 
you know, if, if you're a, a footballer, a 20-something footballer who's been playing the game since you was five or six years old, and you've come right through the youth system, you should know how to tackle. It's a basic, basic, you don't... I've never, ever, I've watched a lot of training sessions at that level. I've never seen anybody doing tackling sessions. You know, you either tackle or you don't, you know. And, you yeah. know, it, to me, it was, it was a non-story, but lots of people picked up on it, and then, and that became a story on, on its own, you know. It became... Pep Guardiola doesn't coach tackling. How is he going to survive in the Premier League? This is ridiculous. And I, I wondered then whether... You know, he was answering the question legitimately, but I just wondered then whether there was a little bit of thought in his mind, if I say this, this will take the heat off my players and put all the heat onto me at a really difficult moment. You know, you look... John Stones was under a lot of pressure because he had a nightmare that day. Claudio Bravo was the same three or four other players. I mean, everyone had a nightmare, but there, there were certain players who were under a lot of pressure after that game. All of a sudden, the pressure was all on Pep Guardiola because he'd said this this crazy thing, apparently, which wasn't so crazy after all, but you know, that he, I'm sure he knew that the, the media would pick up on that. So, you know, I, I, I it's only a theory, but my theory is that he, he does use distraction as a technique, and I think it's a sound management technique. Absolutely, it's very cold in here, isn't it? Come on, isn't it? <laughs> start to distract people from what we're actually talking about. <laughs> oh, another theory is that he just shoots from the hip. I mean, yeah. I felt like with the the Harry Kane team thing again, which got seized on. I think he was like half joking, half saying what was in his head, you know, but just sort of slip of the tongue kind of thing. I, I don't even think he was. I, I think he was. He was genuinely uh, praising Harry Kane. I don't think he was saying they're a one man team. I mean, we're, we're, we're not going to get distracted down that sideline because that's. A, a bit of an old issue, but I, I just think he was, he, he does come out with like a stream of consciousness sometimes, mm. he just sort of, talk, like you say, shoots from the hip and, and goes with an idea, so uh, anyway, I think move on from, from, from Ballgate, I'm sure it's, it's going to run and run that one, and, and it'll obviously run and run, like see what, see what he did there. And, and bounce and bounce and fly, <laughs> um, and I'm sure that in the next round it will be, it'll be revisited whenever anything goes wrong, it'll be... Uh, It'll be the ball. But anyway, I'm, I mentioned John Stones there at Leicester. And you think about, I know me and you have had this discussion, this argument many times when we're travelling around the country together. But uh, you think about that John Stones at Leicester, that was probably the lowest point of his career. Uh, now, I think that John Stones in the last six, seven games for City has been every bit as good as the players who've been getting all the praise like Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, um, Sane and all these, I think that he has been exceptional. I think he's just been absolutely quality. He's been the player that um, we were talking about when, when we found out that Guardiola wanted him and, he, and City brought him in. Uh, a footballing centre-half who defends well but attacks well as well. And I thought that when he came on as a substitute the other night, all of a sudden... The defensive problems City were having just smoothed over, and uh, you know a troubled sea became a calm one with it, just with his presence. You know, and he's a twenty-three-year-old lad. Now I know you've had you you've not always been entirely convinced by Stones. So are you feeling any more convinced by him now? I still have um, doubts of him as an out-and-out defender. I mean, you made a very good point about teaching tackling, um, and you're quite right when you're a kid. Perhaps you you know you learn those techniques and then after that it's just assumed that you know how to tackle. The the doubts I've had about John Stones have all centred around defensive 
complete straight defence. And if if John Stones was playing in a team that were built like a West Brom, that are basically built to defend, and, and then I'm sure that Stones wouldn't be the standout player that he's being at City at the moment. I understand that he's quite a key player in the way that City play at the moment, in that he links everything together. You can see his, his, uh, his awareness of what's happening around him. However, I still think he occasionally gets caught out of position. Now, I might be getting carried away here and there might be City fans listening to this because he's very, very popular at the moment and lots of supporters are saying how well he's playing. I'm not saying he's not playing well, but I'm saying the, the style that City are playing at the moment, which is very offensive, doesn't expose the potential weaknesses that he has. Um, you've been giving him in your marks after games, 9 out of 10 and everything, in performance ways where generally the opposition have not attacked very much. Now, you might argue that that's because John Stones is playing so well that it all gets snuffed out before the attack ever builds. And I can understand that argument, and I, and I, I don't disagree with that argument. Um, but the, the odd goal that's been conceded, whilst you know in a 7-2, the two goals that are conceded against Stoke don't matter, and I completely get that. But when I watched those two goals back, I thought, well, the player who was missing in, in this was potentially stones so I still have some doubts about him defensively however as I say as a character um, as, a, as a part of this whole philosophy of playing I can see why that type of player fits perfectly into that team um, I think sometimes you go too far giving him man of the match on days when City are pouring forward and playing this wonderful football and I would be giving the, the, the plaudits more to those players going forward. And actually, I was sat behind you in the press box in the nil-nil draw against Wolves, and I nearly said to you, but I didn't disturb you, that when Tosin Adara Bioyo was playing in, in defence, he didn't make a mistake. Um, all right, he wasn't quite as proactive with his passing maybe as, as John Stones, but I thought he was pretty faultless at the back. And I nearly turned to you and said, I presume... Adara is going to get your man of the match this week, is he? Because he's a defender who's not making any mistakes. No, 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 no. The difference is, I like Tosin. I think I think he's got the potential to be a quality player. But I think the difference is, I give Stones big marks. Not for his defending. Because like you say, he doesn't do a lot of defending. He hasn't had to do a lot of defending. But his passing is absolutely impeccable. I think his passing is on a par with De Bruyne and Silva. And, and these Ooh, more that's a big step. What, what, what do you, you think? Just, you know that? Yeah, well, bring, bring Chris in because I, I think he, he plays those balls through the lines that, that give De Bruyne silver, and, and he gets them absolutely spot on. You just watch his some of his passing. He's not a safe passer; he's a creative passer, and I, I think that's such a it's such an important role in that team. Is. I'm not and disputing it, that. It, it provides a space which De Bruyne and Silva and these other players exploit massively. It's, that's why he's so important to me. But Chris, what, what do you reckon? Well, I think he's been outstanding. I, I really like him. And I liked him last year as well, actually. I, th- I think you could see this season coming last year. There's a lot of times he got dropped, though, last year. And you sort of thought, and he'd play, especially when company was fit towards the end of the year, and he'd play company and not him ending. I thought it was really harsh on Stones. I thought it would have been good to give him a run with Vincent and see how them two got on. But, um, yeah, I think last season he, was, he had all the passing and all those kind of attributes, but the actual defending side was a bit iffy. But I think this year he's been outstanding in that department as well like if you take the Napoli game for instance that block on the line where he just threw his body at it put hands behind his back was willing to let it hit him in the face to not go in the net you know that was yeah. proper last ditch defending I think he's been spot on this season in that in that regard as well 
Well, I think you're right about the passing, definitely. Him and Edison, I think, because people have started pressing City really high up the pitch, you know, because they know they're going to pass it out from the back. But sometimes Edison will just boot it right through the middle of him, and suddenly De Bruyne's got it in the centre circle and can turn. And then he's got the whole pitch ahead of him, and he's just split split them open. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. At the end of last season, you know, the day after the, the last game, I was lucky enough to go out um, on on this on all the City players went out visiting various people, and I was lucky enough to go in a car with Vincent Company on one of those jobs, and uh, so I had a good long chat with, with Vincent, and I asked him about John Stones, and you you know Vincent, you spoke to him as much much as I have, uh, Ian. Um, and he, he levelled me with a gaze which said, I am not giving you BS here, I'm telling you how I think it is. And he said, John Stones will be one of the best defenders in the world in years to come, that's how we'll view him. Now, company is not known for, for sort of waxing lyrical and that, he, he does tend to speak his mind and he, he, you know what he says tends to carry some gravitas because he's an intelligent man, a fantastic footballer. Uh, now you know that he's, he's he perhaps might want to bull up one of his younger colleagues, but I got the impression that he was speaking from the heart with that. And you know, if, with somebody like Vincent Company can say he, he talks about how difficult it is being a centre back, and he knows more than anyone how difficult it is being a centre back in a Pep Guardiola team. Guardiola's talked about it himself, uh, and especially a Pep Guardiola team playing in the Premier League because. You've got the you've got the problem that you you're in an attacking team, so you're going to get exposed. You you're being asked to pass, so you've got to be switched on all the time. You've got you know you've got to be switched on when your team's attacking as well as when your team's defending. Um, but you've got the added problem in the Premier League that you're going to come up against uh, players like Lukaku and, and Andy Carroll, who are going to knock you about and physically batter you. Um, so you, you know he's sort of made basically saying to be a to be a centre back. In Pep Guardiola team in the English Premier League, you've got to be a complete centre back. Now, I don't think John Stones is that yet. I think, like you say, there are, there are elements of his game that he, he could still improve on. But we're forgetting, what is he, 23? He's young, you know, class, classic centre backs. We don't think about them as being great centre backs until they get to the late 20s. You know, people like Puyol and uh, and Beresi and all these all these great players I mean they, they, we could see the potential of them when they were younger but they became great in the late 20s and I think that when Stones gets to his late 20s like Vincent Company said he might just be viewed on that same on that same kind of platform well the whole what, what is fairly obvious to me is that Pep Guardiola likes players who, who listen learn um, Fernandinho you might argue at the moment is one of his little projects who who seems to absorb everything that, that Pep says about him and plays slightly differently than he did before. But John Stones, if there's one player you could look at in that City team and say, that is the player that Pep seems to invest a lot in and seems to me to be very, very keen to learn and very keen to absorb and, and is very, very focused when he's on the pitch. It, it is John Stones, no doubt about that. And so I can see that in a year or two, you're right, that if things go the way that Pep wants and City continue to progress, um, Stones could emerge as that type of player. So I'm not fundamentally disagreeing. I still have that slight question mark but about defence and defensive capabilities. But, um, but then again, you could pick any player, any player in the team, and probably find something that, that's not quite right 
And that's the, that's the great thing about how good City are at the moment. We're talking about fine-tuning and little details rather than fundamental problems. There are no fundamental problems in the City squad or side. There are just little tweaks and little, little nuances. And um, if Stones, I'm not saying proves me wrong because I'm not, I'm, in no way am I anti-Stones or saying he's a bad player. But if he ends up being the player you're describing him as and Vincent thinks he'll be, brilliant, absolutely fantastic. And he's an Englishman, he seems very, very down to earth and he seems very keen to learn and he, he will be a hero in the future if he carries on the way he is. Right, well moving on from John Stones, another player we've mentioned who got a lot of stick last season and perhaps hasn't had the chance this season to, to move on is, uh, is John Stones, uh, John Stones, is Claudio Bravo. See, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed <laughs> with John Stones. Uh, is Claudio Bravo. Um, and I, I mean, I, I've sat down and interviewed Claudio a couple of times and found, found him to be a thoroughly decent man, which is always my first judgment rather than how good a footballer we are. Thoroughly decent man who, who answers questions straight, uh, and he's just he's just pleasant. And I, I, my heart ached for him last season because we know he's a good player. Has we to know be, he's a good it? goalkeeper. Well, you know, you don't get to to be an international for Chile, winning all those caps. You don't get to play for Barcelona and and leave, you know, with the fans cheering you to the rafters without being a good goalkeeper. He came to City. He had a bad season, and you know. There were certain fans who were ironically cheering him when he made a save, which was harsh. I mean, he took it in good heart. He cupped his cupped his hand to his ear and made a joke out of it, which is which is great. But it must hurt you when you're a professional. Well, I thought that was really out of order. I must say at the time, and you know, as a City fan, I was a bit a bit embarrassed by that. To be honest, but I think we are in a bit of an area of like personal vilification that we've seen after United lost Huddersfield. It just seems to all been piled on on Lindelof and and Liverpool at Tottenham seems to have. Be, you know, all Dejan Lovren's fault. I don't know if that's social media, you know, memes and, you know, the sort of personal Mickey taking after one or two bad performances seems to be like crazy these days. But yeah, some of the stuff, some of the stick Bravo took last season was, yeah, was, was out of order. But, you know, he's shown good, great character, hasn't he, like you say? Yeah, I think since then he's, he's, he's progressed. He wasn't just like the other night he came up with a great performance. I think his performances have improved when he's played. He played at the end of last season. He's played a couple of games this season and I think he's done really well. And then he was my man of the match before the penalty shootout. I thought, you know, because he saved City on about four occasions when, when, when the man was, was clean through. Although it might have been the ball, of course. Um, <laughs> but, uh, again, I spoke to him after the game and, and without trying to be too cruel, I, I basically asked him, you know, things didn't go well for you last season. Um, do you feel you've turned a corner now with the way you've been performing this season and the way, way what happened with the penalty shootout? And he made a good point for me. He made a good point that you know we all found it difficult last season. You know, a lot of players found it difficult because they were adapting to a new system, uh, and obviously the defence found it more difficult than anyone because it was a more of a radical departure. You know, David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne and, and players like this, they had a tweak in the way they played. But we're still basically doing the same thing as they were doing under Pellegrini and some of them under Mancini. Uh, you know, because attacking football is, is at that top level is pretty much the same thing. Um, but I thought that obviously the defence is different. It was a complete radical departure from everything they've been doing. And Bravo was in the defence that wasn't quite sure of itself, including John Stones. He also, don't forget, had the, the added pressure coming in of being Joe Hart's replacement yeah. and being this footballing goalkeeper who you know was was completely different, and so all the 
the crowd were sort of thinking, this is the guy who's replacing our favourite, mm. our hero, the man who played in goal during the two titles and all the rest of it. Who, who is he? Who is this Bravo? And he's supposed to be going so good with his feet. So every time the ball came to his feet, the crowd was sort of expecting some world, world pass, you know, that was going to split the defence every single time he got it. Yeah. I, I felt that pressure didn't help him. Yeah, yeah. Those two decisions weren't... Well, you know, like getting rid of Hart's one decision and then by buying Claudio Bravo's another. Like you said, they were bundled into one thing, weren't they? Mm. People thought that he was like Hart or Bravo or no one, you know, like. Mm. So, yeah, he probably did have that on his shoulders as well, yeah. And he also had all that sort of ironic cheering as the ball went back to him from the opposition. I mean, you know, going, Whoo, as if he's going to, you know, pass it straight to them. And he never, in fairness to him, with his feet, he was fine. I don't think he was quite as good as Edison. Mm. Can't, you know assist from goal kicks and that sort of thing but yeah. you know, from my memory if, if, if we gave the ball away it was him giving it to someone who then gave it away he might have passed him into trouble a little bit but yeah. he, he didn't make any big clangers with his feet I don't think I, I think you I think you've nailed it there Chris that he um, you know he played in the Barcelona team that knew exactly what was expected of them when the goalkeeper had the ball and you could pass it out to PK or to you know to whoever and it would uh, it would end up being moved up the pitch and that it didn't it didn't happen with City. John Stones suffered with it. I think the other other defenders, the fullbacks, all suffered with it last season. But Stones has had the opportunity to move on from that. He's now looking the class player. Bravo hasn't had that opportunity because they brought Edison in, which you understand because he was a young keeper. He was a keeper who who perfectly fit the bill, as we've seen. You know, he's been he's been brilliant. So Bravo hasn't had the chance to to show. He, until the other night, he hadn't had the chance to show what he could do in this team. It'd be interesting to put Bravo in that first eleven. You know, if he's playing with Stones and Otamendi, and with Kyle Walker and Benjamin uh, and Benjamin Mendy on the other side, uh, I just think that in that setup, he could. I'm not saying he'd be as good as Edison because I think Edison's been outstanding, but I think he'd look the part. He'd look what we expected, like you said, when he first came in, and I, I just feel that. City's history has, has treated him badly in, in, in a way and I, I felt sorry for him. I just thought it was great to see him with a big smile on his face with everybody hugging him and the, the fans chanting his name and I hope that, you know, this this talk that he might he might not stay at the end of this season if he goes away that he'll have a, maybe a happy memory or two in the League Cup and the FA Cup in the same way that Willy Caballero did after he did that in the All I can say, is, Stuart, for saying all that, bravo. I think we better wrap it up there, haven't we, boys? <laughs> So thanks again. And that was uh, I was talking city for this week. We'll uh, we'll speak to you again soon. See ya.